0: Welcome one, welcome all to episode 10 of the Maddie B Show. Today we look at the 2020 Super Bowl, the big blockbuster trade that the Hawks made for Clint Capella. We have a look back at the first 10 episodes of the Maddie B Show and of course our Q&A segment, What Matters. So let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And I'm glad to say that after three or four weeks of, uh, let's say, in regular or irregular episodes, we have a regularly scheduled one. I know, who would have thought that having a consistent upload schedule would have been a great thing for a podcast. So now, we haven't had anything too big in terms of news happen this week that uh, would... Throw a spanner in the works for the podcast. So today, I'm glad to say we're back in business. We're back on track with our regular episodes, and we got a good one. And it's a this is a sort of format that I'm you know willing to w- willing to trial, but it's definitely something I want to look into. You know, perhaps being the permanent um, structure of our solo episodes, so the ones with just you and me, and that is having different segments about different things that have happened in the world, as opposed to having, uh, let's say, one whole podcast about one whole topic. I definitely want to do those episodes still, but I think those things are probably best suited towards uh, a, a group uh, episode or, or a guest episode of the podcast because people uh, can weigh in with their specific uh, perspectives and ideas on a singular issue, whereas I feel like, you know, as a solo thing, listening to one person talk about the same thing over and over again can get a little bit boring and perhaps a little bit repetitive. So, we're trying to avoid that with this new sort of exciting format, I hope, where we cover lots of different topics within the episode. So, let's not delay anymore and jump into our first topic, and that is Super Bowl 54 and now that happened earlier this week happened on monday the 3rd of february for those living in australia and that would have uh, happened on uh what what would it have been it would have been february the 2nd which was a sunday if it was to be happening in america which it did but it you know depends on where you watched it i guess uh and all i want to say is that my initial thoughts with this game were that it was sick. It was a, a big, big upgrade over last year's, let's say, low-scoring encounter. Um, and I, I'm sad to say that as a Rams fan. And, you know, the Rams were in the Super Bowl last year and lost 13-3 to without scoring a touchdown. But I'm glad to say that didn't happen this year. So, with that being said, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs for winning the Super Bowl. It was a little bit like the Cleveland Cavaliers winning in 2016 in the sense that this was the first time that the Kansas City Chiefs have won in 50 years. That's a long time between drinks for a team. And um, I guess, congrats to them for finally breaking that drought. Uh, it's, It's a big achievement and... Hopefully, well, hopefully for them at least, they get to see quite a bit more Super Bowl success. Uh, one thing I want to say is this is a, a a shout out to um Mr. Donald Trump, who obviously isn't listening to this podcast, but I want you to know that, sir, Kansas City is in Missouri. You are you are, you would have seen guys. Uh, he tweeted, "Congratulations to the great state of Kansas," when uh, in fact the Kansas City Chiefs are not from. Kansas, I know, simple mistake to make, but not one that you should be making when you are the President of the United States, but you know, that's just one of the many, many mistakes that he's made uh, on Twitter the past couple of years, but you know, you know, I'd say probably one of the more acceptable ones, which is weird to say, and probably something you shouldn't be talking about with a President, but that's okay, we're not going to delve into politics and You know, the the farce that has been the Trump administration. That is an episode, I'd say, is for another time where we're focusing on some different topics today. So coming into the Super Bowl, I unfortunately or fortunately, depending on who you follow, picked the 49ers to win. I thought that defensively they were much, much better than the Chiefs. Uh, and that they had a few more experienced players who had been playing in, uh, in, in big games. I mean, uh, people like Richard Sherman, um, even Jimmy Garoppolo was uh, a, a, an experienced player in one sense. He, he uh, didn't get a, a great deal of playing time um, under... Bill Belichick, and under Tom Brady in that Pat system, but nonetheless, he was still on those teams and still probably gained, I'd say, a lot of valuable experience that he could have applied to his own uh, playoff run here. And, you know, that got him so far. They got all the way to the Super Bowl and were leading for a good portion of this game, but uh, at the end of the day, they unfortunately didn't win. And I think... Uh, it's it's no surprise, or well, looking back at the game, you could easily see that the Niners were on top for all those first three quarters. They were passing, running, defending at will. Kansas City, this explosive offense that they had, looked lost. They didn't really know what to do, and everybody on that 49ers defense was playing great. Except for um Richard Sherman, who had a pretty bad game and got cooked by Tyreek Hill at one point there, but, you know, he's the best coroner in the game, according to himself, so... That is probably not what he wanted, but outside of him, that that 49ers' defence was firing, and it was really impressive to see them shut down Patrick Mahomes, the reigning league MVP, up until the night before, uh, and it was it was very impressive, because we all knew that the, the Niners were good, but we weren't expecting that sort of lockout only being able to score one touchdown and that touchdown being a rushing touchdown from Patrick Mahomes after he had a little bit of a scramble there so that's very impressive on the Niners part but it all came crumbling down in the fourth quarter I'm not really sure what happened really I think Patrick Mahomes kind of just said screw it I'm going for gold and he just started playing like the absolute MVP he is and He was passing uh, passing over everyone. His receivers were making good catches. uh, And that looked like they finally understood what to do when coming up against this uh, 49ers defense. And uh, an interesting stat to look at with this game is that, on average, the 49ers uh, rushed significantly more than they passed during the regular season. And then during this game, the 49ers only rushed 22 times, which, I know, sounds like a lot, but they passed 31 times, so 10 times more than they rushed, which is, is such a weird thing. I don't know if um, Carl Shanahan, the 49ers coach, thought that maybe they the, the Chiefs had prepared for a run-heavy offense, but it really just didn't work. And it was quite surprising to see that um they they didn't really play to their strengths um I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a great quarterback, but I don't think he should be passing 30, 35 game, uh, 35 times, sorry, in a Super Bowl, which is, it was quite an odd um anomaly in their season really, like if you lined up all their games for the entire season and said all right, which one, or which game plan do you think they would have gone with in the Super Bowl? There's no way you would have picked that one because that wasn't really their strength, I think. Um, it, was, it was quite a, a disappointing show from them, and I think Kyle Shanahan should take a little bit of the blame there for the play calling. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. The 49ers lost, which is a shame. But the good thing about them is that they, uh, they have a fairly young team um the just last year they were missed the playoffs and were and were atrocious so seeing them come back and bounce back is a a sign or a testament of things that are likely to come so i I predict that they have another strong year next year uh i pray that they don't have a year as good as the rams um but i think as a rams fan uh i think we might be stuck in purgatory for a little bit because of the just the salary cap situation that we are in and all of the 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 player dilemmas that we are we are having at the moment. Now Patrick Mahomes won Super Bowl MVP and I think that was the wrong call. And I've seen many other people say that it was the wrong call as well. And uh, I think that's fair because they gave it to him just because he was the quarterback and just because they had a comeback. Those first three quarters, Patrick Mahomes was not playing well at all. He had an interception. He uh, was, uh, had a, uh, quite an average and, or bad to most people's accounts completion rate and they hadn't scored a passing touchdown. And that all, of course, turned around in the fourth. They put on 21 unanswered points. But at the same time, you should take into account the entire game and not just the you know 15 or so minutes that Patrick Mahomes played well. And I think Damian Williams should have won the uh, Super Bowl MVP. He consistently, throughout this game, uh, turned plays that looked like they were going to break down into five-yard carries, into first downs. He took uh, the ball and created something out of nothing, and that was um, uh, something that really got the Chiefs out of trouble at times there when the 49ers looked like they might be coming for the throat, going for the jugular. Um, Williams really, you know, put the team on his back and said, All right, Paddy Mahomes isn't doing great, he hasn't uh, contributed as much as he usually does, so it is my job to go out there and get this dub for the team. He rushed for a hundred yards and he had two touchdowns and I, I'm 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 just really disappointed that the NFL decided to give the MVP to Mahomes just because his name was Patrick Mahomes. It, it, it's it's um, I think it's a problem that um, is rife throughout the the recent history of the Super Bowl. And, um, even the regular season MVPs as well. Uh, I think 10 out of the past, uh, 13, uh, the stat was, I'm pretty sure Super Bowl MVPs were quarterbacks. And I mean, I'm all well and good and happy for you to give the Super Bowl MVP to a quarterback if they deserve it. And I'm sure many of the players that have won Super Bowl MVP as a quarterback do deserve it. But I think, um especially in an era in the NFL where offences are so high-powered, uh, where 30 points a game is just kind of the norm now. I don't think looking at their stats and saying, oh, wow, that was impressive. You had 200 yards uh, and two touchdowns. Well, that's a regular normal game. I don't think they should be winning MVP for that. Um, so I think that's probably a problem that the NFL will have to address at some point because I think that it's unfair to anybody else. It doesn't matter what position you play, if you aren't a quarterback, it seems as though your chances of winning any uh, awards, whether that be MVP or Super Bowl MVP, are completely slashed, and that's a real shame to see. But, on the whole, awesome Super Bowl. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that of course, in comparison to last year, millions and millions of times better. I think the fact that it was a nail-biter, uh, that, the, that the Chiefs had that fourth quarter comeback was really beneficial um, in healing some of the wounds that last year's Super Bowl recorded uh, or, or inflicted. Uh, so with that being said, I hope that next year we get a game that is very similar to this. Uh, I predicted that the Saints and the Ravens would be in the Super Bowl. If you guys saw the episode I did with Dylan, NFL Playoff Predictions, you can go listen to that now, have a listen back and see uh, what we predicted right, what we predicted wrong. Uh, And newsflash, spoiler alert, we predicted quite a few things wrong. But that is okay. And I'm hoping next year we get you know, uh, maybe a, a Seahawks or a Rams versus a, uh, another high-powered offense like the Chiefs or the Ravens. I think that'd be super cool to have, uh, teams just throw 50 on one another. If you guys, uh, remember, uh, last season, so not the season that just finished, but the one before that, there was that Chiefs-Rams game where each team scored 50 points, uh, and the Rams won it on the buzzer, uh, you know, I think a game like that would be awesome for the Super Bowl, if only for the spectacle of it all. Um, just just the sheer insanity that would ensue after having a game where the where the scoring was that high would be very um impressive. I think. Another thing that I want to have a little bit of a chat about is the uh, halftime show. Oh boy, that was a spicy one, wasn't it? So. Uh, you had J-Lo and you had Shakira on stage doing their little, uh, duet thing or, you know, their little shows. And, uh, it was quite a, a raunchy and steamy show. Uh, the, these two women were scantily dressed, uh, shaking their, shaking their bootes, as one would call it. Uh, and I think that, um... It it was a great spectacle. It was very enjoyable to watch because it was just so so crazy, so wild, and so entertaining. Uh, to see something so brave yet so daring. Um, I think the energy that was brought to the show more than anything was the draw factor, not the fact that these two beautiful women were uh, not wearing much, or you know, perhaps being a little bit promiscuous. The fact that just they they were loving life, they were they were so full of energy and so full of passion for what they were doing was great to see. And um, you know, you you see the the Facebook keyboard warriors online saying, "Oh, you know, women shouldn't dress like that. It's it's degrading. It's disgusting." And it's usually you know fifty year old women or uh you know with with bowl cuts being you know bitter for the sake of being bitter, but. Uh, the one thing I want, I want to say to them is you guys weren't complaining last year when uh, Adam Levine from Maroon 5 was performing without his shirt. So it's a little bit hypocritical um, that you would pick on these women just because they're women. And, you know, I think they should be allowed to do uh, whatever they want to do in their uh, Super Bowl halftime show. I mean, look, Karen, have you had the privilege of performing at the halftime? Of the Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. So pipe down. But, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of hate out for this year's halftime show, and I think it is all underserving. Uh, I think it was a great, great show, great spectacle. Uh, and the Super Bowl as a whole was an awesome game, super enjoyable to watch. I can't wait for the NFL season to start up at the end uh, of the year, and I'm keen for another great year now in NBA news just yesterday the day before I recorded this podcast uh, there was a big trade that went down Clint capella is off to the Atlanta Hawks and uh, I saw Clint capella come up in quite a few trade rumors uh you know throughout the the season and particularly towards the trade deadline which is coming up within the next week or two so I'm not completely surprised to see that he was dealt, but I am surprised to see the way that he was and what the Rockets got back for him. Uh, and I want to take a little bit of a, a deep dive into this trade because I think it has um, um, quite large ramifications, particularly for the current situation in the Western Conference and the future. Of The Eastern Conference. So this is a very complicated trade. So I'm gonna try and go through this and Explain it as clearly as possible. I will explain what each team got in and what each team uh, uh, gave out and at the end, I'll give a little bit of a summary so The Atlanta Hawks received Clint Capella and they traded away Evan Turner Brooklyn's 2020 first-round pick and Golden State's 2024 second-round pick. The Houston Rockets received Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, the Golden State Warriors' 2024 second-round pick, and they traded away Clint Capella, Nene, Gerald Green, and their own 2020 first-round pick. But this was a four-team trade after all, and the third team involved was the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they received Malik Beasley Juan Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner, Jarrett Vanderblit, and Brooklyn's twenty twenty first rounder. They traded away Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, Noah Vonleh, Keita Bates-Diop, Shabazz and Shabazz Napier. Alright. And the Denver Nuggets were the fourth team involved in this trade. They received Gerald Green, Keita Bates-Diop, and Shabazz Napier. Noah Vonleh, and finally Houston's twenty twenty first, and they traded away Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, and Jared Vanderblit. Whew! All right, that was a lot. That was a lot to take in. We're going to break it down team by team to see um, what the situation is for them because that was a complicated one to say the least. That's 12 players and three picks. So it's a massive trade in terms of content and also in terms of, you know, scale. But that is, there is a lot of moving pieces to this trade. Uh, Lots of little cogs, some bigger than others, of course, but it is a very complicated one to, um, to analyze. So let's start off by looking at Atlanta. So Atlanta received Clint Capella, and I think Clint Capella is definitely a top 10 center in this league. Uh, Great, prolific rebounder, awesome rim defender. Uh, Scoring's not quite there, but he still has those putbacks, those DeAndre Jordan-esque post moves, Uh, and I think without a doubt. One of the better centers in the league. And I think that Atlanta, by and large, got him for chump change. They lost Evan Turner, who is way, way overpaid. He got his massive extension way back in that 2016 season when the uh, NBA salary cap spiked uh, with the new TV deal. So that was the year that many players got contracts that were just way too large. Uh, that was also the year that um, made golden state signing kevin durant possible just for a little bit of context but the good thing about that evan turner contract is that it is expiring at the end of this year and he will be a free agent which means that the hawks clear up a bit of uh well they don't really clear up cap space they kind of just stay equal in that sense but the rockets they clear up some cap space and you know they've have some salary cap issues which we'll dive into a little bit more Uh, They also traded away Brooklyn's 2020 first-round pick, which is projected 16th overall in the 2020 draft at the moment. But with Kyrie Irving coming back uh, and some of those role players having that weight taken off of their shoulders, like Spencer Dinwiddie, I think that Brooklyn's um, record is set to improve and that will probably um, become a, a lower pick in the near future around the 20. 21, 22 range, maybe, depending on uh, how other teams in that mid-Eastern Conference and Mid-Western Conference perform, like the Thunder, but um, at the moment, a 16th overall pick, which is, you know, mid-first round, uh, and the last thing that they got was the uh, Golden State Warriors second rounder, and the chance of a second-round pick eventuating into a serviceable player in the NBA is quite low. So, as it stands, I think that Brooklyn pick um, is the is the thing that is worth the most in the deal. So, with that being said, that means Atlanta traded away bugger all. I think, of course, there's room for that Brooklyn pick to, to backfire. Maybe the Nets get worse. And that uh, pick somehow by miracle becomes a lottery pick or maybe even a top 10 pick, depending on if they completely capitulate. But I I doubt that they do, seeing as though they have so many good solid players that'll keep them in the playoff hunt. Um, So I think for what they gave away and what they received, great trade for the Atlanta Hawks. I think this core of Trey Young, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter... Uh, and now Clint Capella is a very strong one that into the future could do some damage, especially as those two uh, two younger guys, Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter, start to develop even more from the point that they are already, which is, which is very, very impressive. So now onto Houston, the, the second team in this deal. And I'm a little bit confused with this one. Uh, now, of course, this does relieve a part of the salary cap pressure that they have, uh, they have James Harden and Russell Westbrook both earning around $40 million a year. Uh, so that takes up a significant part of their salary cap. And uh, Clint Capella was their next highest paid player. I think he was earning around 18 uh, eighteen a season, 20 something like that. So getting rid of him and taking in Evan Turner's expiring, uh, you know, relieves a little bit of cap space, but I don't think getting Robert Covington and Jordan Bell back in that deal was enough for what they gave away. I think there was probably a better trade out there somewhere. Uh, I like Robert Covington. I think he's a great 3 and D perimeter player, perimeter shooter, but I I just don't think that that will meld well. it, It won't come together as a cohesive team because Six foot five, P.J. Tucker is now their starting centre. And you can't tell me that Jordan Bell is a starting calibre centre on a playoff team. I know he played some games for Golden State, but when your team is that lopsided, you don't really need to worry about that too much. So with that, um, I think if they didn't give away Capella and were somehow able to get Covington, awesome, awesome deal. Would have done them a world of good. But the fact that they had to give him away for it... Uh, not, not quite sure, and of course Houston is known for being innovative in the game. they were one of the first teams to completely say screw it and go straight in and uh, dive into that three point revolution that we had at the end of the end of the decade. But I don't think this super duper super duper super duper undersized um, lineup with an average height of around six foot four is going to be any, any good against uh, anybody that has a big, strong um, starting center. So think Denver, think Philadelphia, think uh, even someone like Detroit with Andre Drummond. I don't think they'll be able to deal with that sort of muscle down low because, well, they're just small. No muscle. I don't know what they're going to do. The third team to get involved in this trade was, of course, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, which is probably a bit weird, seeing as though they've lost 16 straight. Uh, And I don't know if Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderblit can make them that much better, uh, to be completely honest. Um, I think that... uh, Giving up Covington was probably a, a, a call that was going to happen eventually. I think a contending team, whether that be someone like the Clippers or the Lakers or even uh, one of the lower-tier teams in the West were going to come calling and say, hey, we want him. What will it take? So I think it wasn't a matter of who. Uh, it was a, a matter of if. It was a matter of when. And obviously, they've pulled the trigger on this trade um but uh, i don't see this as a long term solution to the the terrible basketball that they've been playing recently um i think maybe they're trying to gather some trade pieces up so that they can make it all in dash for dlo but uh you know it it's minnesota are just bad and they will be bad for the foreseeable future if they do not put any good pieces around Carl anthony Towns. Andrew Wiggins had a good start to the season, but he's really cooled off. Back to last year, Wiggins, where he's shooting terribly, looks a bit tentative, um, not really going out there with the intent that he had at the beginning of the year. So uh, this season is definitely a write-off for them, uh, and that's unfortunate to see. And the fourth team to get involved in this trade were the Denver Nuggets. Denver, they got some nice bench players out of this trade, nothing that's going to push them over the top, seeing as though they already have such a good, solid bench. They got a late first rounder, um, and that is going to help them in the future, even if it's a little bit of a trade piece, trade incentive, maybe to be something that pushes a trade over the top, or could select somebody who knows, might strike gold and get a great player in the first round. But currently, there's a the second best team record-wise in the West, and I don't think this trade really mattered to them. I think they just did it for the sake of setting themselves up a little bit better in the future and relieving a little bit of cap space. Um, Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, not exactly standout players. So um, I think it was it was more more so a a way of consolidating the situation that they are currently in, and they've strengthened an already strong second unit. But I think they probably come out as neutral uh, until the foreseeable future. But Um, you know good on them for being active and getting out there towards the trading deadline so my final thoughts on this trade the winner atlanta the loser is houston but we will see who knows might all backfire might all fall in place for houston we'll never know until we get there we won't know until we cross that bridge what we're going to do now is have a little bit of a mid-podcast intermission. It'll be the first time you guys would have heard one of these, but uh, I think that it is probably good, you know, just to break up the podcast a little bit more. Clear your minds. Get ready for another piece or another bit of great content from The Maddie B Show. I hope you guys are enjoying The Maddie B Show so far. This is episode 10 that you were listening to before we jump back in to the rest of the podcast i encourage you guys to go have a like of the facebook page that's the maddie b show on facebook go have a like of the instagram page that is the maddie b show on instagram also make sure that you are sending in your emails to the maddie b show at gmail.com ask me some questions give me some feedback. We'll see. We've got our Q&A segment, What Matters, coming up next, and I can't wait to hear some of the great questions that you guys have sent in to the podcast. So, this is The Madey B Show, coming from Spotify, Apple, and Wooshka. Now, with that being said, let's jump in to the rest of episode 10 welcome back after our first intermission everybody i hope you guys enjoyed listening to my silky smooth voice but let's head back into the rest of our topics today and our next topic is going to be a quick one but we're going to be looking back at our first 10 episodes of the maddie b show can't believe that we are already at episode 10 I thought, it was only a few weeks ago, it feels like, that I finally decided to start the podcast back up again and get it going officially, get it going out there in the public and not hiding it away, hoping that nobody would ever find it. So, what I want to think about is, you know, my favorite parts of what we've done so far the things that have been good, the things that have been bad, and perhaps some of the things that we can improve on in the coming episodes. So, We've slowly begun to grow as a podcast. And I think this has just been through the word of mouth currently, the word of mouth of my, my friends and my family. Uh, and, I'll, and I'm excited in the future to grow at a higher rate because we've got some good guests coming on in the coming weeks. And we've got to, uh, you know, hopefully get some deliberate advertising out there. Try Grow the Maddie B Show. But it's been really promising to see that week after week, we're getting more and more listens. And, you know, I I know so many people who have, you know, created um, podcasts and YouTube channels and things of that sort who have spiked right at the beginning and felt super positive about, you know, where they're going to go and what the future holds. But then they get a bit disappointed when those views start to drop back down and start to normalize, and uh, that's of course happened to us. But I think we are, we are past that initial drop down now, and we're slowly starting to grow back up. And uh, I'm really happy about that, and I'm really excited to start uh, growing the podcast at a, a faster rate because I want to get as many listeners to the show as possible. You know, we want a good foundation and a good solid listenership for this little show of ours. So. For someone who is an aspiring sports journal or a journal and a sports journal in particular, I think we've done pretty well in um, averaging out what sort of episodes we have. So we have four non-sports episodes and we have six sport episodes, including this one. So I think that's a good mix. Uh, I think uh, people can get tied down to one particular category. Uh, and you know really stagnate there and I'm, I'm happy that we have a, a good solid base in sport and I really love sport and it's definitely something I'm going to continue talking about and there's nothing that you guys can do to stop me but it's also great to have that um, that that other mix of stuff that I know you guys really really enjoy as well and uh, trust me don't worry it, it will start to broaden out even more we're going to talk to more people we're going to interview more people. Uh, And hopefully we will have a great mix and a great range of podcasts come the end of the year. A personal favorite for mine um, was probably the New Year, New Me episode. And that was episode five. So at the beginning, it was a little bit of a a comedic piss take on on New Year's revolutions. But then we delved deeper and we looked at why people set goals. uh, And then I think the most beneficial part of that was the fact that uh, I was able to have some good self-reflection. And that I could now see, um, you know, certain things I hadn't seen before. And I I, I got to express myself. And I I really enjoyed um, putting my goals out there. And I really enjoyed um, hearing from some of you about uh, how the goals were great. And how you can't wait to see some of the things that I spoke about come to fruition. And I can't wait to start pumping out some brand new episodes for you guys Uh, it's really exciting to see week after week uh a new episode pop up every time and i can't wait for 10 more for 20 more for 30 more for however many more we're gonna keep going and i'm really really excited for it now we have our q a segment what matters and just like the intermission which is a brand new thing in this episode we've also got another brand new thing relating to what matters today and that is we've got a little bit of an intro song so i'm not going to intro it like this every week but this is what you guys are going to be hearing every time before we jump in to what matters welcome to what matters the segment where i maddie b am grossly unqualified to answer the important questions that you ask me. But still, I'll do it. Alright, that was a pretty sick intro song, if I do say so myself, and I know, can't wait to hear it again next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, get excited for it. So our question today comes in from Mike, and he has a question about our Kobe episode, uh, and that was a bit more of a somber one, but I'm glad that we still got a little bit of engagement out of that one, and uh, we've actually got a really interesting question about you know, what my mindset was when recording that episode. So the question here is was skirting by a well-documented sexual assault drama in Kobe's life the right call? Does not a full reckoning of an individual's life and legacy need to be accounted for? Or in death, is sanctification and iconic legend status left to be untainted? Should eulogies be selective or confined exclusively to the positive? Or is it all about timing? So that is a a pretty big question, a, a very uh, heavy question, considering it is about, um, one, a, a very heavy topic in the form of sexual assault, and two, it's coming uh, less than a week after um, a man's death. But I want to take you through my mindset uh, and answer that question to the best of my abilities. So we'll, we'll go from there. And I think bringing up the bad things that a person has done completely depends on who they are. Serial murderer? Sure, let's bring it up. That's obviously something that makes up a gigantic and irreversible portion of this person's life and legacy. But bringing it up for a generational basketball talent who inspired millions, I think that it is without a doubt, not the thing that you first think of when you hear the name Kobe Bryant. So I think that um, is really important. I think legally as well, he was never actually convicted. So it's not only unfair, but also defamatory to, if I were to call him a rapist or a convicted sexual assaulter, because simply according to the law, that isn't true. Uh, And I guess the fact that there was a a settlement out of court, a little bit worrying um, it is possible that that proves guilt, or maybe it's possible that he just wanted to get the case over and done with, as is the case with many high-profile celebrity disputes. Um, but I've got a quote here from Kobe regarding this whole issue, uh, and I think it's telling about his mindset, and I think it's telling about the situation as a whole. So let me quote this. He said this in 2004, uh, a year into the legal proceedings and um, all that. So that's the context you need. And the quote is... Although I truly believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that she did not and does not view this incident the same way I did. After months of reviewing discovery, listening to her attorney, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. Now, I'm not here to speculate whether Kobe is a rapist or a sexual assaulter, nor will I get into any future debates about that. But what this shows is at least some form of remorse and empathy to the situation that the young lady was in. Uh, And, of course, if Kobe did do these things that he was uh, alleged of, that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. And I think that should be factored into his public legacy. But if he didn't do it, then I think any criticism that comes against him for this is completely unfair. And the fact that I'm talking about it now... Uh, would be completely unfair if it turns out this was untrue. But as, as uh, you know, we, we just don't understand or don't know what the situation is, especially because he has passed away. Now, there's evidence saying that he did do it. There's evidence saying he didn't do it. And the case, the case was dropped. So you just can't legally make an argument for the fact that he did. So a- as it stands, I think you factor it into his legacy, but... It's not the key point you take away from that. And besides, I think Kobe Bryant was undoubtedly a net positive for society and positively impacted more lives than he did the opposite. And I think what this, what this whole situation is indicative of, though, is the negative nature of the media in our society. When a man has lost his life, when a wife... And a family has lost a husband and a daughter. When an entire league has lost their mentor. When an entire generation has lost their hero. What does mainstream media jump on straight away? The negativity of what is a high profile dismissed legal case. Especially when it's something that can be defamatory of his character very quickly. And I think it's pretty sick to see that happen in the media. They prey on the negativity, they try to get angry, visceral responses to, to this situation and, because that's what makes them money. And that's what gets them all clicks. That's just the nature of the business and it's, and it's disappointing. Uh, and, and it's a part of the reason why people are starting to flow away from the mainstream media because people are, are just sick of the rot. I definitely want to do an episode, you know, about this topic and delve into it deeper. Because I think the the Kobe situation is emblematic of some of the issues that we have in the media at the moment. But to answer your questions specifically, did I avoid it? Did I avoid the question, or did I avoid the situation uh, of his, you know, alleged sexual assaults? No, I don't think so. I think I clearly outlined that the episode was a celebration. Or a memorial of his life and his legacy. And more importantly, I think I outlined pretty clearly that it was my thoughts on the topic. And that meant focusing on the positives of a man and my fond memories of who he was. And especially because I was two years old when these alleged sexual assaults happened. So I have no memory, I have no experience with these things. So I only felt comfortable, and felt right talking about the personal experiences that I had with Kobe um, Bryant and his legacy. Should this be taken into account for his life? Absolutely. I think if you were to make a feature-length documentary film about Kobe Bryant, it would be just dumb to skip this part. But I think in in the context of my podcast, it was unneeded. Uh, and your other question was, in death is sanctification an iconic legend status to be left unattained? Well, he is uh, an iconic basketball legend, first and foremost. And something that has happened off the court cannot taint that legacy, as it does not affect the context of if he was a good basketball player or not. So I don't think it should affect That legacy. Can it affect the way that society viewed him as a person? Sure. If you're that way inclined and you believe that he truly did do those things, absolutely. You can um, skew your view or perception of the man in any way that you seem fitting. But you cannot take away uh, how good he was at basketball. Um, There have been many, many sports stars, um, basketball players included, that have had public um pub public scandals before i mean michael jordan the for many the greatest basketball player in the in the history of the world was an atrocious gambler like dangerously dangerously bad gambler um and that's something that people take into account when viewing him as a person but it isn't something that people take into account when looking at how good um, he was at basketball. I think for the Australians listening, I think uh, a, a topic or a person that's a bit more relatable in that sense is Donald Bradman. Now, Donald Bradman is undoubtedly the greatest cricketer of all time. Average of 99.94 in test cricket. Uh, one of the One of the most skilled players to ever hold a cricket bat. But by all accounts, he was a terrible bloke. He just didn't care about his teammates. He was he was rude. He just didn't care. And he was just a bit of a, excuse my language, a shit bloke. And um, I think that is absolutely something that you can take into account when thinking of him as a person. You say, all right, Don Bradman, I don't think he was a nice guy. But you cannot doubt the basketball legacy that, um, not the basketball, sorry, the, the cricketing legacy uh, and icon status that he has, so I think you can absolutely take it into account, but only, but but you can't take away their iconic legend status simply because it doesn't really have anything to do with that. If that makes sense, hope that makes sense to you. Uh, and the other and uh, last question was: Should eulogies be selective or confined exclusively to the positive, or is it all about timing? Well, I think a eulogy would probably be solely positive. Uh, and that is probably, I wouldn't say probably, because definitely you're really only getting a eulogy from places of love and support. You're getting a eulogy at your funeral, you're getting a eulogy at a public memorial or something like that. So you aren't going to have um, a, a sad, somber ceremony where they're mourning your death and they're going to just bring up the fact that that you've had some issues in your life that just doesn't make um, complete sense. You're not going to be like, all right, Kobe Bryant. He was a loving father. He was a great basketball player, and he was also an alleged sexual assaulter who had a dim- dismissed case in the early two thousands. You're not going to say that a eulogy is in and of itself supposed to be a or or a supposed to be a positive overall thing. So I, I don't think um I don't think that you that that they are have to necessarily be confined to being positive, but I think ninety-nine point nine percent of the time they are positive because that's just the nature of the way that um we view them. So Mike, thank you for that question. Um it was it was a complicated and uh, I don't want to say confronting, but it was a it was a good pushback to um, something that you saw was important in my episode, um, and I, I appreciate the question. But with that being said, everyone, that has been episode ten of the Maddie B Show. Uh it's been a great one. I think we've introduced a few little uh, things that we haven't seen in the podcast before, which is great. We've got our new little intermission piece, and we've got our new intro segment music thing uh, for the Q&A segment. Uh, And I can't wait to uh, create a new podcast for you all next week. But before we go, make sure you are sending in your emails to maddiebpodcast at gmail.com. I'll repeat it again maddiebpodcast at gmail.com make sure you like me on Facebook and Instagram the Maddie B Show there as well and please if you can leave some positive reviews on Apple Podcasts so that we can get some new members into this Maddie B Show family so with that being said I hope you will have a great week and I'll hear and see you all again next Friday and that has been that